Hello and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon. Joining me on the other line, the new deputy director of feelings at the FBI, it's Danielle Hanley. Oh my god, that's actually the most appropriate, like, intro that has ever happened, ever always. Because there's, like, an alternate universe where you, like, went into not the FBI, but, like, the State Department or something... And, a million percent. And still read a shit ton of Sarah Ahmed and then started the like sub department of feelings within the agency that you were a part of. I mean, totally true. Right? Like, I'm not wrong. I, no, you're not wrong. In fact, yesterday, as you know, I was like interviewing for something and they asked me a question about like feminist thinkers post 2010. And I like, which is not a question that I've ever thought about, right? But then I was like, yeah. okay. Do, I was like, in our last, in our paper, like doing, right. doing some girl math about years. <laughs> and I was like, aha, Sarah Ahmed. <laughs> Eureka. But yeah, there's definitely an, uh, I, one of, one of my best friends, my best friend from college, Maddie does work for the state department. And whenever I tell her about my research, she's always like, oh my God, that's so cool. And I'm like, Wow, I wish other people in my field felt like that, but thank you. <laughs> oh, people come on, people in your field do think that way. Yeah, but also like some of them are like what why are you talking about feelings? Yeah, so. that's true. Danielle and right. I are about to we're about to have a glorious reunion. Um we're glorious gonna be at reunion. a conference together, presenting together because same brain and all, as you listeners Always. are well aware of. <laughs> uh so and there'll be ample evidence of of people in the field respecting Danielle. Oh, yeah. It's more just like uh, Maddie also has a PhD in political science and her PhD. Oh, okay. We're talking about poli-sci broadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I wasn't talking about political theory. I was talking about like poli-sci more broadly. And I still and my colleagues are like so nice. But I also still feel sometimes like they're like, do do we have to talk about feelings? Is that like worthwhile? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like it's no it's no surprise that particularly since I'm the only theorist in my department. Right. And I'm with four like lovely people. But I'm on tenured or tenure track and like great people good scholars excellent teachers like cool hangs yeah yeah but like all empirical so like i've only done applied theory since i've gotten here more or less like our paper is the most theory theory that i've done since (laughs) i like you know since like seven eight years ago i spent the better part of today like working through sadia hartman and like maria lugones which are like one two really important thinkers for me but also just like they are big on the ground, but in the clouds, theorists, right? They're, like, really trying to to move between Mm -hmm. both of those. And so I feel like our paper is, like, so much more grounded than any of the nonsense I was writing today. (laughs) Not nonsense. Not nonsense. I haven't read it, but... You know. I I know. A little (laughs) self-deprecation at 7.43 in the evening. Never hurt anybody. We should warn the audience when we're recording at night. um, Because things are going to be more ridiculous than... The baseline. I, I feel like we've just decided that we're only recording at night. <laughs> or maybe I did decided decide that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, that too. Well, we're going we're gonna to have a guest on the next two episodes. Yeah. One of them, at least, we can get on board uh, with recording at night. And the other guest, I messaged her today. She's going to hook us up with a Not Quite Great Books Blue Sky invite. Whoa, yeah. yeah. I don't have us. any Blue Sky invites. 
Well, now we will. I don't really want them. But yeah, I, guess I don't want to join Blue Sky. A not quite great podcast one would be can. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. The I just like want to do... be less online. <laughs> <laughs> Over under our very small number of Twitter followers on Blue Sky. That's the question. You know what? I bet we'll have more Blue Sky followers than Twitter. <laughs> let's let's hope so. Um, are we talking about an episode? I don't even know anymore. An episode in season four. But before we talk about the episode, just a like a disclaimer. So this podcast was recorded during the 2023 SAG after strike, and without the labor of the actors who are currently still on strike, though hopefully they'll have a deal soon. Um, the show being covered here would not exist. And also, Union Power got the WGA good deal, and so we're hoping that it, it lands for the actors, too. We sure do. And we will be uh, reflecting on that as we engage the exact opposite of Union Solidarity <laughs> in American... Look at that. American Season 4, nice. Episode 3, Experimental nice. Prototype City of Tomorrow. I had not workshopped that prior to the episode, I would like to be clear. I'm so impressed. That is Epcot, written by Stephen Schiff, directed by Kevin Dowling. Danielle, what's our summary this week? Episode summary from IMDb for American Season 4, Episode 3 is Paige copes with new burdens that come with her family's secret as <laughs> Philip and Elizabeth struggle to contain their cover without destroying their daughter. It's honestly one of the better IMDb summaries. It's vague, but it's like it's at least like more specific than this is an episode of television, which is what I feel like the last like 10 have been. <laughs> this is an episode of television. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's we're going to go in a different direction, but, like, there's nothing that's wrong in here, technically. This is, you know what, this is very, like, ChatGPT watched the Americans yeah. and wrote an episode <laughs> summary. No offense to the synopsis writers, but, like, that's what it's giving. It stays giving. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that this week. I saw my youngest sister, Tori. She just moved to Boston. Um, Congrats to and Tori. And she taught me the, the lingo of I stay, <laughs> which is what the kids are saying these days. Like, I stay watching the Americans. <laughs> it's like, you're just still doing it, I think. <laughs> I'm going to try that when I hear when I hear one of my students doing that. So it's like, you're, you're still doing it, but you're just, you're, you're staying there. It's literally just the definite dictionary definition. <laughs> it, but it's like cooler than that <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that uh, I'm, I wouldn't proclaim to be cool in any sense of the term so you know no <laughs> I do a podcast mm. about Plato and 80s spy thrillers like you know <laughs> from the 2010s yeah yeah so you know we're not yeah. that far behind the times colleague and friend of the listeners Dr. Lucia Manzi showed a clip from the young pope in one of her classes and only two students in it had ever seen the young pope is it because they're young or is it because they have no taste like <laughs> that was that was exactly our conversation and I will not disclose the answer on air but maybe off air but Danielle, we should talk about this <laughs> episode in Epcot. Um, so Danielle wouldn't let me go with my galaxy brain Epcot no, take as the theme for this episode. <laughs> but I'll, I'll figure out a way to get it in. Don't you worry. But Ugh. we're gonna go with a You're different welcome, galaxy. Brain. <laughs> we're gonna go with a different, like one level below galaxy brain take, and that is the theme for this episode is spying is an MLM question mark. Danielle, yeah. I believe you have a personal anecdote to transition us into this discussion. Yeah, so as the listeners know, there are members of my extended family who are a little cult-prone. 
Um, and MLMs and I did not know that was canon, but I'm glad that it it was. I think we talked about it when my sisters were on. Um, No doubt about that. Or like a million other times that I inappropriately referenced it. Not my immediate family. Um, and no one that listens to this podcast. But you know, we've got some, some cult adjacent behavior happening (laughs) in the extended family. Um, they don't share my last name, so I don't feel bad saying that. But anyway... At, at one point, somehow, one of my uncles was, like, involved in a multi-level marketing scheme called Melaleuca, which was cream and, like, <laughs> like, like cream for, like, psoriasis or, like, your skin or, like, shampoo, like, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm trying to describe this. This is, like, a very, like, early 90s core memory <laughs> mm-hmm. where... <laughs> If you, like, went to a doctor's office or, like, a dentist or some anywhere that had a receptionist, you could, like, put things on the receptionist's desk. And this was, like, you would put your name and address and, like, put it in the, this box. And then you could, like, send away for Melaleuca products. And so okay. somehow one of my uncles was involved in this. But mm. my mom and my grandmother who lived with us were the ones, like who had to, like, go deal with this stuff. So I just remember driving around to, like, a lot of random businesses, like, collecting the Melaleuca boxes. <laughs> it's like, I think I think only Caitlin and my, our brother Kieran were alive when this was happening. But it's, like, such a wild thing. But anyway, definitely an MLM. Definitely, like, Hanley family adjacent. Definitely cult adjacent. I think spying is an MLM, too. That's all I've got. Yeah. So should should we give the reasons why spying is an MLM or let that come naturally in the discussion? Ooh, let's give the reasons why. Why do you you okay. start? Well, so if you think about the structure of like the spy networks as we see them depicted in the Americans, yeah, like you have the center, so you have them as like the the Melaleuca company, which I'd like to point out that a quick Google suggests that Melaleuca is the largest online wellness shopping club, so it still exists apparently and is still wow. MLMing all over wow. the place. So you bigger have than Lularoe, like... wild. It doesn't even have its own documentary yet. <laughs> I know. Uh, so you have the top of the pyramid that's the center. Yeah. You have, like, some key people uh, one or two levels below that where, yeah. like, maybe they're getting some benefits in their life, but, like, they also are, like, having to take shit from the highest levels of the pyramid. So they're, like, you got your Gabriels, your Claudias, and then right below them you've got uh, Arcadis on that level, and then right below that you've got your Elizabeth and Philip, you got your William, so on and so forth. Yeah. And so, like, you get... In increasingly distant from some like sense of autonomy and selfhood the further Mm -hmm. down the pyramid you get in mlm or in spying Mm -hmm. and the further down you go the more like you the more likely you are to be subject to like neolib bankruptcy entrepreneurship bullshit if you're in a mlm like melaleuca or to like being exposed to glanders or to being <laughs> or Martha casual. or to like being yeah. killed uh, as you are like several layers down in the pyramid scheme. So that's like the, that's the main theory, but there's more to it. Please continue. Yeah. So I think like the thing I was thinking about, and this actually is going to transition us nicely into like our first point here, right? Which is it's also spying is an MLM because MLMs are, are they function on both like, ability to persuade slash like make human connections yes 
et cetera, et cetera. And also, like, they are, all of those connections are, like, precarious at best, right? So, yeah. or that at least they start that way, but they're, they're, they're always at risk of falling apart. And so, like, the thing that I was thinking about twofold, one, like, the Younghee plotline, right, is, like, the the quote that stuck out to me was when she says to and I'm forgetting what Elizabeth's character name was. Yeah. Um, but when she says to Elizabeth, like, Oh my god, you're so good at that. That's your it's your first day, like blah 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 blah. And it's like, of course she's good at it, because like this because selling a product is is a hundred percent what she does every single day of her life whether it be engaging in spycraft and like making relationships in order to sustain that or it be maintaining her like double agent identity is also yeah. like selling a product and and she's really good at both of those things in like a pathological kind of way truly pathological and i think that that that's exactly the quote i was thinking of as well yeah. for young he because it's part of the quote for me he is are you sure you're not a used car salesman yeah. <laughs> so the sh- the show understands i think how yeah. spycraft is like in mlm in that particular way that like all right let's equate the cliche figure of bad selling behavior and like creepy uh behaviors and like a capitalist but like a petit bourgeois capitalist yeah. of the used car salesman with mary Kay with spycraft right yeah. so, like, all three of those things get run together by the show and like i think another and this is i think uh picks up on your point as well that like the very in a neoliberal way the very subjectivity of exactly. the person within an mlm like adapts shapes and conforms itself to the expressed ide- ideological purpose of the mlm itself or of the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. so that can be like uh the Mary Kay makeup as like a means of like reclaiming beauty or femininity or selfhood in the context of like uh, upper middle class bourgeois mm-hmm. like femininity in the US, or it can be all for the motherland. And so there's like a collectivist versus individualist, whatever difference. But that basic structure of yeah. you get into the MLM and the further down you go in this pyramid, the more you have to be subjectivized by the higher yeah. levels. I think that's really insightful, both in terms of thinking about MLMs, but also like in terms of shedding light on some of the more maybe troubling dynamics that exist um, in the in this particular spy world. And I'm thinking here about like Martha. I'm thinking about yeah. Kimmy, who like, mm-hmm. where is she? Uh- <laughs> Good question. Like Annalise, right? Like a- yeah. any number of people totally. who, like have been killed or like are at permanent peril in the dossier of being killed right <laughs> in the dossier or some of them <laughs> we want to be killed and are still one one of us wants that's a that's that's a royal we of which i am not included <laughs> that's because you know when they die <laughs> <laughs> like no that's a, that seems like a knowledge thing not a wanting them dead less Look, you said no galaxy brain takes, not and here you are when you do Pastor Tim epistemology. Like I don't I don't know what you want from me. Oh my god. I'm dying. I'm really dying. But like granted so we have the the MLM aspect of it and like again, this is this is brilliant construction by the show to like a little bit hit us over the head with it. 
by making a multi-level marketing scheme the centerpiece of this like new relationship and like agent that uh that Elizabeth is about to be running or starting to run here. The pivot, though, perhaps to like the actual content of this particular scene or this particular plot, this particular introduction of a new character in Young Hee and Young Hee's family, and to like think more concretely about what's happening in the episode in the context of the MLM business. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen Elizabeth and Philip have to cultivate individual relationships with people as part of their MLM yeah. spy crafting. Like, what do you think is distinctive about the character of Young Hee? Like, obviously she is a Korean woman, right? So like that marks her as different than others, yeah. right? That um, Elizabeth and or Philip have kind of uh, tried to recruit without telling them they were being recruited. <laughs> but like, in addition to that, like what else do you think distinguishes Young Hee as a character in the Americans among other characters? and the Americans who have played like plot function similar roles. Yeah, I mean, I think that like her Korean identity is like is a big part of that. But I also think what's different from this particular female character than others is that she doesn't seem as though she doesn't seem as like meek or or like um, in trouble as as other characters have mm, felt. Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking a little, like, Annalise felt uh, like there was a lot of stuff happening with her. There was messiness there, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Younghee does not feel messy um, in the same way at all. And, like, she seems much more, like, take charge. And, I don't know, there's something about her that really strikes me as, like, this is a like poster child of like an 80s immigrant, right? Like all of that together. And like there's also some racism built into that, which I think is is something we maybe want to talk about. But there's she's like less powerless than than these other female characters we've encountered in the first place. And I think that Elizabeth responds to that. Yeah. Responds to that in a different way than she has with other characters who are women who she has tried to, like, get in with in other ways. And I think you've picked up on why that is the case. Like, Elizabeth Jennings would have basically, like, zero interest whatsoever, would have, in fact, the opposite and would, like, intense hatred of... We're going to walk around these fucking suburbs selling overpriced makeup to a bunch of people all day long. In the vacuum, Elizabeth has no business with that. Right. But, like, to Young Hee, and there she's running Young Hee, so we take it with, like, many grains of salt. But then to Philip afterwards, she's like, it was almost a little fun. Like, there's something that was actually different enough and genuine adjacent enough. Exactly. In Elizabeth's fucked up brain that lets her, lets her actual subjectivity or actual self get involved, i.e. it's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's, that's exactly it, right? Like, it's that she doesn't have to work so hard to do the activity that she's doing, right? Like, to yeah. sell Mary Kay. That's actually just an extension of the skills that she already it, has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And usually, she's, like, working hard to be an incredibly different version of herself. Whether it be, like, uh, someone who enjoys, like, sleeping with other people. You know, like, all of these things that we've seen her do. Selling makeup and, like, having an intelligent conversation with another intelligent woman who she seems to, like, at least have some respect for right? Like, isn't too far away from probably the way that she, like, is most comfortable spending her life. Yeah. 
I'm with you there. But then, to your point, you mentioned a couple minutes ago, like, that is paired with the problematic and potentially racist elements of the storyline, too. Like, do you want to explore that some? Yeah, there was something about the way it's like, it's, it's both that she's like this, like, picture perfect and also caricature of like an an Mm. immigrant woman in the 80s. Like, there's Mm -hmm. all of that, which I think gets back to your point about subjectivity. Um, But then also, there's like a doubling down, right? There's like a... Um, come over to our house for for Korean food. It's a little bit Korean. It's a little bit. It's a little bit not like they're making fun of the of the the brother for drinking wine and of her husband. Oh, her husband. Right, right, right. It's yeah. like the yeah. <laughs> There's also the extended family. She's like, oh, it's like it's not just me. It's my kids and also my husband's parents and like et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's like all. There's something a little too. Like, this is not how American families function about all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's a little self-congratulatory melting yeah, pot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, and very, like, 80s sitcom. Yeah. And you could see, like, and- a Full House episode where, like, they all went o- or, like, a Family Ties <laughs> episode where they went over to the sure. new Korean neighbor's house. And, and uh, Yeah, I was going to say, and yeah, Michael one of J. the kids Fox has a friend who's Korean. Has, like, and, too yeah. much spicy food, you know? <laughs> Does the pepper dance, yeah. I mean, that part was very funny. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, was- that would be me. <laughs> yeah, because, like, <laughs> because that was, like, Elizabeth Jennings acting or not acting like who knows but yeah. like something like we've seen or like eat a lot of spicy food so we have any basis but this i think raises a question that like is not disconnected from the, the mlm question because yeah. the mlm question like i'm willing to say that the show is in on the point here like i think it is calling attention to the fundamental um <laughs> morally corrupt nature of mlms and spycraft yeah whereas i'm not i there's a question of like depiction of like vaguely or more than vaguely racist like myths about melting pots and asian east asian immigrants and all of that um versus in a critical way of like this is the mechanism through which one like becomes an American and like plays American is you have these conversations with the, uh, with the racialized other, or is it just like indulging in it so much that it actually is reproducing the discourse that hypothetically it could be calling our attention to. I think it has to be a both and. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I was hoping you would say. You're like, welcome. John I think Keller. it has to. Yeah. You're welcome. Keller. The only one tallying our both ends, making us pay for them. <laughs> charging us money for it. Charging us money. Charging us money, paying us back in cannolis. Like, <laughs> I did have a cannoli on Sunday, though. It was very good. <laughs> there was a... So I'm I'm watching The Bear season two, which I know I'm months and months late well, to. I um, cannot watch this show. Too yeah, stressful. I'm surprised about that, actually. But, I, um, I can't hand... I don't... I, like, I'm rewatching. Vanderpump rules like I do not want any intense content like on my eyes the Americans is almost (laughs) too intense for me (laughs) yeah well it is intense like someone got glanders in the the episode today so like you know I was really like is this glanders or did someone try to kill him like because I'm still not sure that glanders even is real but you know that that sounds like a future dossier entry for I think it was already a past dossier (laughs) entry 
<laughs> no, well, it needs to go in again. <laughs> Great. TV. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> put, put a pin in it. Uh, yeah. the cano- there was a cannoli point in the bear, and it was like a spark of a really fascinating conversation between two important characters. But anyway, is Paige a member of this LM- MLM? They're they're trying to get her into it, right? Like, this was the yeah. episode where it really felt like... And I was... I loved this about this episode, right? Which is, like, especially when Philip Philip's the one to go to talk to her. He's the one who, like, quote-unquote understands her, which, like, t- remains to be seen. But yeah. he goes to talk to her, and he's like, you can't get angry. Like, you have to, like, make him feel safe, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, like, she goes to Pastor Tim and, like kind of does what philip tells her and kind of doesn't like you could see that there's a version of that conversation where she just is like explosive from the jump and she's not but she does kind of explode at the end with the Mm -hmm. like wife stuff and so like they're trying to bring Paige into the mlm and that's part of the conflict between philip and elizabeth right it's like how do we do this and do are we still doing this that's still a question on the table yeah Pastor A, Pastor Tim, paragon of 80s wife guy, just for the record. More importantly, the page thing happens <laughs> happens in a couple directions because there's in both the before and after of that interaction with Pastor Tim that I think speaks to your point because the the conversation with Philip before is them giving her essentially her first mission. Yeah. Right? Like, this is Paige's yeah, exactly. first spy mission. This is her first act as an agent of the KGB is to go in and have that conversation with Pastor Tim. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? Because, like, it seems pretty fast to get your first mission. But I guess, like, she gets it because she's accelerated her track, right? Yeah. And, like, I wondered if Philip and Elizabeth... On what level, i.e., is it conscious or unconscious, that they know that they're sending Paige on her first mission here? I think Philip, that's part of what Philip is, yeah. like, buckling against, right? Yeah. But but I think also, like, he's conscious of it in and, like, consciously takes the reins of it because he doesn't like the way that Elizabeth is sort of, like, not taking the reins or like letting things sort of like unfold quote unquote naturally when none of this is natural (laughs) he's like your approach is bullshit and yeah like we fucked this up already and we're just gonna keep fucking it up like which that comes later right that comes great point in the point by our guy philip great and like yes philip Thank you. Someone is like, yeah. is watching we've this been, show with us. We've been wrong about Paige at every turn, yeah. right? And and he's right, but like he's always there's... been right about Paige. Though. He's like, <laughs> we shouldn't bring her in, and he's right. <laughs> yeah, and there's a part of this though where, and this I think it's into that. This is the MLM subjectivity point of it all mm-hmm. that as we have commented on many times and joked about many times, like. Paige has internalized so much spycraft from her parents without knowing that's what was happening that, like, she is exactly her parents' daughter and especially her mother's daughter. Yeah. Because you know else, you know who else would intend to not be angry to go in and, like, hear some bullshit from a pastor? Granted, Elizabeth maintains a cool face level head in the earlier episode. Philip and Elizabeth are able to, like, 
in the like heat of the moment be caught up and get angrier than they should mm-hmm. and then especially like have a heated tension filled discussion with their handler afterwards right so here page this is like a different like yeah. combination no, of the this period, is a great right point. like page is to elizabeth and philip as uh elizabeth and philip are to gabriel right because like the the handler says you fucked this up and like the a- agents defend themselves and they got emotional and wrapped up in the moment and all of that and like those conversations continue when philip is like hello we have messed this up so many times and gabriel's like be fine like it'll be totally (laughs) fine and philip is like it will not be fine and elizabeth her face is like okay it won't be fine but we'll figure it out and it's like yes it's yes it's literally what's funny about this to me is like this is a like a domestic argument or the uh, the argument of like uh like heteronormative couple but like transposed onto the spy world (laughs) Because it's like, uh-huh. you know, like one of the parents is like, this is crazy. We can't do this. And the other parent's like, we got to do it. We'll figure it out. And then like, you know, the outside person is like, well, sorry, just like you have to do it. It's like, we're not usually talking about whether or not we should kill a pastor, which by the way, they should. But that's <laughs> that's <laughs> different. I'm like full on team Gabriel and Elizabeth here. But that's my Surprising. own. <laughs> my own bullshit. Yeah. Oh, my well, God. Gabriel even gives... Philip and Elizabeth, more so this is directed at Philip, a line that also applies to, like, you're convincing somebody to do better at selling their MLM bullshit to their, like, recruits, which is people believe what they need to believe. This is in the context of, like, go to Epcot, never, you know, she can never be out of, you can never be out of her sight. She is there for every phone call, all of that. Have fun. And people believe what they want to believe. This is the thing, though, like... Gabriel does not know Paige, that, which is, like, that's the thing that cons- consistently gets exposed, yep. right? Yep. Is that Gabriel doesn't know Paige, and Elizabeth is torn between Gabriel, who does not know Paige, but who has, like, the center and the and the mission in mind all the time, which is, like, yeah. where I think her heart of hearts wants to be. But because, like, yeah. she is a mother and has these attachments, even though she maybe didn't want them or doesn't want them, like, she, and Philip is, like... I know my daughter and like this is bad and it's going to get worse and it it will not get better. Like Elizabeth is split between them and she often is, but there's something about this version of it where I was just like Philip is really on point here and Gabriel needs to shut his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean Philip she's not stupid Gabriel was <gasps> the correct read and res- the correct response. Totally. Do you want to give your galaxy brain Epcot take? Sure. So I asked Danielle, and she would have none of it. What does Epcot represent or symbolize or stand for in this episode? Because, like, there's... and So I'll I'll give it. I'll give the theory. The theory is that in this episode, Epcot is at the level of ideology. Supposedly this, like, display... I already want to die. (laughs) This, like, display of peace cosmopolitanism global cooperation the absence of like hierarchy the absence of conflict intention and rivalry that's like epcot's ideological dream 
which is false, like fundamentally yeah, yeah, false, yeah. as much ideology is. But like that's the that's the ideological projection, right? So it's an impossibility, but it serves a political function in sure. an ideological way. Sure. So a there's that, and like Henry really psyched about Epcot, the most ide most like ideologically uh, duped character on this episode on this TV show, or sadly. like at least in Poor this family, yeah, at least in this family. Um, although it's ironic I say that with like everything's for Soviet Russia is also an ideological identification, but you know maybe that's the point. That's see that's what I'm saying. Maybe that is the point, but. Then if we transpose that structure to, like, the actual oh. Jennings <laughs> If we transpose that structure to the actual Jennings family, they were never going to fucking go to Epcot. Like, they were the never going to go to Epcot to solve all of their familial kinship problems and their spy problems, like, is a chimera that doesn't exist. Like, it serves the ideological function of explaining and, like, attempting to cohere together their ability to persist in their familiness and in their like kinship relations, but it's impossible and is never going to work. That's the that's the galaxy brain take. So Epcot is like the ideological fantasy that cannot be real that plays out across multiple lever levels of analysis. You are so smart. Mic drop. I hate you <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> I think that was not that smart, but I'll take it. I don't know if it's just because of the week I'm having, but like I, when you introduced this to me, I was like, no, no galaxy brain takes here. Thank you very much. Moving on. Um, I'm impressed that you've like thought about this, but it's like too many pivot (laughs) points for my brain. And like Henry plays too central role in that theory (laughs) for it to make any fucking sense to me. The best laugh line I've gotten this semester so far has been Was like not dropping a Socrates says Crito hold my beer. I couldn't I couldn't work it in. It was oh, too late. Sad. That has to remain a Hanley dream. Um that I got a good I laugh will on one that day one. enact. It was I referred to uh Climate Leviathan, the book Climate Leviathan yeah. in my EPT class as like the most galaxy brain reading we do all semester long and the students really found that amusing so I mean, thank you students that's right <laughs> yeah i know your syllabus and also i know climate leviathan and climate leviathan is a galaxy brain take <laughs> yeah exactly um so that that's my epcot take thank you for not making me talk for an hour and a half about that <laughs> <laughs> i'll uh... thank myself <laughs> <laughs> as you should and now like the next level of like beyond galaxy oh, no. brain now we're in like a different meme situation now it's like vince mcmahon's like yeah, eyes yeah, are glowing yeah. red and bulging out right that would be could i connect my epcot no, take don't... to spycraft as an mlm that's the, i think that that's the real yeah question. because like right the connection is like ideology something something blah 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 <laughs> That's just Man, how you reading do me, reading theory. me for filth. <laughs> um, <laughs> ideology, something, blah 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 blah. What was the last eight minutes of John's bullshitting? Ideology, something. Literally, blah, blah, John, blah. you said the word ideology, and I was like, I am out. I am so out. I am not on this podcast anymore. <laughs> oh my god! I was reading. I was reading over a friend's um, cover letter for job stuff. Um, for him, yes, uh, two days ago, 
And it was like, his project does involve ideology. And I had to be like, okay, you have to just like be okay reading this and don't have the visceral reaction you want to have to this word, which like I think is just grad school trauma. Like, that's probably that seems probably correct <laughs> although like if this is a theorist friend applying presumably a department full of m- many people who are not theorists there's yeah. actually like a concrete like job market reason to like use that word once across all of your materials and which no like more, is right? essentially so there's that too the feedback i gave which is like this is totally fine in the research statement but needs to be rephrased in the cover letter which like it Look was anyway you're it- your invite to become a partner at Keller Industries is in the mail. <laughs> I know. It's wild, though, because I'm like, oh, God. Like, I'm now for him, you for me, and mm-hmm. you for me are Keller for you. <laughs> and exactly. it's like, mm-hmm. that's a galaxy brain take. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot of successful uh, Keller Industries projects. It's true. All right. We got to we gotta, <laughs> we gotta keep going. Sure. Uh, we got to move on. All right. So, like, there, there's the moment after that conversation that we spiraled into ideology about with Gabriel you. and Philip and Elizabeth. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> me. I, I opted out of the we earlier. It's now your turn to opt yeah. out of the we. So, where Gabriel uh, is like, you know, all right, we're going to do the Epcot plan. Elizabeth is like, we're going to do the Epcot plan. <laughs> then they get back into the car where they, Philip and Elizabeth start to argue about, like, should they leave or not? Yeah. Right? So this is not only Phillips, we've been wrong about Paige so many yeah. times that you called our attention to earlier. It's also like the argument about like whether to leave or whether to run or stay or go to the go to the south or whatever, which is a weird take by Philip. And <laughs> Odessa. Elizabeth said like it's about keeping our lives here or something to that extent. Yeah. And Philip doesn't say it, but like Matthew Reese in his face is asking her the question what the fuck do you mean our lives yeah. what lives what lives that we have some autonomy and ownership over in the present are you trying to maintain so like my question for you is a is that how you read that interaction yeah and b is that philip trying to get out of the mlm spying yeah i think my answer to both of those i think is yes i think it's like uh philip Philip's life is like Est. Is that his life? Like, mm. that's a great. Is, is Est an MLM? A million percent. Okay. <laughs> At least in spirit. <laughs> I'm <Yes>. like. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's. It, yeah. So I, I think you're right that it's like Philip being like, what life? But also, Philip has been trying to get out from the beginning, right? Like, that's the first version of Philip that we meet is that version. And it seems like over the last couple of episodes, in particular, like, post-Eugene fallout, like, that's where Philip is trending. He's trending, (sighs) get me out of here. Like, this is not the first time that we've come back to, like, the Philip from the first episode where he's, like, trying to leave, right, in this season. And I think, like, that's where he's... Headed. And I think the the page of it all, like, put some pressure on him to, mm-hmm. like, be firmer in the in his position that, like, leaving can and should be an option. And somewhat cruelly, ironically, Est helps him vocalize that. I think that's right. Because right. he gives Elizabeth the language of, you know, every alarm within me says run, 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 and it's not going off for you is what he says to Elizabeth. And, like, that's their... Philip has access to different way of engaging, like, with his embodied emotions, and Elizabeth is trying to maintain the Cartesian split. I like that take. 
I would Thank also you. say that it's it's would. the direct deputy director of feels over here. We love it. We love. We stay loving. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such an unnecessary step <laughs> of language. I'll see if I can work that into class tomorrow. All right. <laughs> we stay playing the French Revolution game class. Yeah, it's like, so. it's like, that's what we're doing. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> not only, I think you're, on the one hand, you're right that, like, Philip has access to, like, to that language and also, like, that his experience of these things is different in part because of Est. But I also think that's the thing that drives him to go to Est. Right. Like mm, mm-hmm. it's not Good. necessarily yeah. like a call. Ca- There's not a causal arrow there. It's like a, a morass assemblage, if, if you will. <laughs> I will. I will. Always. Every time. I will always <laughs> assemble. I stay assemblaging. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> do, do you also stay with questionable glanders? Oh, I... I stay suspicious of glanders. <laughs> well, it's like when what what was your reaction in the moment when they show up at Gabriel's I, apartment and he maybe has been glandersed? My reaction was this is bad and they're not going to Epcot. Like my first thought was they're not going to Epcot. So when that comes back later, I was like nailed it. I was watching yeah. it on the bike and I was like I am a genius. Yeah, that's that's the closing line of the episode, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess we're not going to Epcot. It's like no shit, Sherlock. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Vicky Hanleyism. No shit, Sherlock is my mom's like favorite saying. Remember nostalgia for the '90s, right there. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like they show up, and I'm like, is this Glanders or is Gabriel just like old? Because he also looked sickly and old in the in the other um, in like the earlier scene. I'm like, yeah, Frank Frank Langella, like he looks good generally, and he did not look good earlier on. But then he's like, I've right. still got Glanders <laughs> in this <laughs> in this Altoid case or whatever. Yeah, like from yeah. Soviet Russia. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like contrast gabriel that we s- like talked about talking with elizabeth at the end of the episode where mm-hmm. they're both just like wearing incredible fits in episode incredible two fits. to sickly uh to sickly gabriel here in this episode yeah he, he was like hanging on a park bench with a great hat and a cool jacket mm-hmm. and now yep. and e- even in the earlier <laughs> He's on the floor bleeding uh like mostly passed <laughs> but out. even in the earlier scene Shaking. he looks like his Skin is like more grayish. Is that Glanders or is he just old? (laughs) It's a real, it's a great question. It's it's the greatest question. They decide to signal William and in the midst of being like patient zero Glanders outbreak (laughs) in the Metro DC area, the show is like, but let's have a funny chase scene where (laughs) William, where William the most on like, Philip's side for this. <laughs> they, they meet and like they have the fucking Capitol Dome in the background. Yeah. Or was, you know, green screened in is the Capitol Dome or whatever. Um, like in a park, they like have a dramatic parlay. They are chatting and whatever. Like uh, William is trying to play it cool and then just takes off running he's not going to win against these two so much so that there is time for elizabeth and philip to exchange like 
a cartoon or graphic novel, like, look of disbelief at one like, another. Hold might as it well for have been banter. Th- right. Like, hold it for three beats and then leave as if we're in a fucking Looney Tunes <laughs> And Elizabeth, cartoon. I'm sure, is in heels, right? Like, that's the... <laughs> Philip catches him in negative three seconds and then spits in his face, which is honestly the funniest thing that's happened on any Americans episode. The, like, spit it- in the face is so egregious and, like, wild. It is extremely extra and also great spycraft and also leads to an incredible line reading of the word asshole. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. There were a lot of things that happened in this episode that I was like, how is this happening? One, how are they sitting down with Pastor Tim? Like, how is this, like... We didn't even talk about that. (laughs) Victorian ghost happening. Like, what's going on? Like, that, then... They're like, let's go to Epcot, wild, galaxy brain wild. Gabriel's on the floor, like, coughing up blood, and they leave him there? And, like, that's crazy. After they've been infected. They have time to call William and, like, meet up with him. And then Philip spits it. William runs away, and, like, Philip then catches (laughs) him, obviously, and then spits in his face. But then they go back to Gabriel. It's like... And and Williams, well, I'm sorry. First, they go to Williams' apartment. Yeah. And he's like, "Please take your is... shoes off." Which I was like, Great. "My dude, you've Love got it. blanders. Like, <laughs> let's like dispense with the pleasantries, okay? Like, you're gonna have dirt on your fucking floor. Like, get over your life." Well, it's not the dirt on the floor, right? It's his like his. He's allergic to everything now because of all the vaccines. Vax, that seemed crazy. Um. I don't think you get allergic to things from vaccines. That's like he's a hypochondriac. It's fine. It's because he's Look, dealing it's... with glanders. He's like, I don't want your... I... And he's like, I don't want your uh, your access code. And I was like, shouldn't have said that in front of Elizabeth. But then you're the one with the glanders cure. So, like, I guess you're sticking around. <laughs> oh, my God. This was a wild episode. Well, so... And so then, like, they, they, we have the contrast of, like, William's apartment space. Like, impeccably neat. Like, several air filters going, et cetera, et cetera. Would have been great in COVID. To... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, he he's ready twenty plus years in advance. Twenty years in advance. Um, Forty years. In Thirty advance. years in advance. Forty years. Forty in years. Advance. In advance. Math is impeccable. Boy math. Girl math. Um, <laughs> are we still? Wait, are we revisiting I, our pact to only I record at night? Sent my sisters. Hold on. We have. I have to tell you this. I sent my, oh my sisters a, an I amazing boy this. math thing. <laughs> Hold on. We can cut this out if we want to. Oh, it's staying. Oh my god, I've sent some really good <laughs> boy math. Okay, boy math is how five ten measures to six feet. Boy math is putting on a jersey with another grown man's name on it every Sunday while mocking the, the Bay Hive. <laughs> Wait, there are more. Boy math is thinking the answer to "Did you come?" is yes. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Boy math is wanting zero kids but having zero condoms on hand. Amazing. <laughs> uh, boy math is is them wanting a prenup and they make 45K. <laughs> That's professor life. <laughs> Wait, there's more. Boy math is being afraid of gold diggers when you only have three pairs of socks to your name. <laughs> Wait. Uh, boy math is telling everyone you won an election when you lost by millions of votes. <laughs> That's a good one. Obviously, this is from, like, a Philly account. Is that it? That's it. 
Those are good. I was Incredible. like, the boy math is wanting zero kids to having zero condoms, or like boy yeah. math is like <laughs> thinking the answer to did you come is yes. Or it's like, this is amazing. This is the best thing anybody's ever put on the internet. This is the reason the internet exists. Amen. Uh, <laughs> ironically, like Clark the sex god, like exempted himself from boy math. Like Martha always comes and he always has condoms because he can't have a kid because he's not Clark. Right. Because, like, but Clark is not doing boy math. He's doing spy math. <laughs> fair, fair. So that's, like, superseding. Yeah. All right. We got to keep moving. That was my own fault. I don't, I don't even know what we were talking about, to be quite honest. Uh, is there more glander stuff to talk about? Yes. Okay. Because, like, okay, maybe this is boy math. Maybe it isn't. But, like, we have hypochondriac slash full of allergies, William, who goes back to Gabriel's apartment and they, like, they've got no PPE. Once again, Danielle, there's no PPE. I was like, what's happening here? (laughs) Like, shouldn't there... I mean, he he does put on gloves eventually, (laughs) but, like, where's the mask? Where's, like, something to, like, put on as soon as they enter the house? Instead, they, like, casually stroll in and is like, would you like some more glanders? I would like to inhale some more glanders, I guess his calculus is like, well, I guess we all already have glanders, and it's already out there, and it's like, uh, I don't... Is that catastrophizing? Like, I don't know. It's bad. It's yeah. bad news bears. Ooh. No, this is why you got to get rid of the glanders fast and not store it in an Altoids tin. And then when they're in Gabriel's apartment and he's like, got to heat it. But I always tell them the tops on these things are bad. I was like, I have not seen one of these little canister things at all. We've been yeah. walking around with this in an Altoids tin and putting it in an igloo cooler. Like it has not been in whatever your <laughs> whatever canister from like the Return to Oz set that you've taken. Like I'm sorry. When you you know what you could have done? You could have given Philip and Elizabeth a canister or something. There you go. It's not less there suspicious that it's in an Altoid tin that's rusty and True. literally from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to add. Everyone's doing a bad job. Yeah. Except for Sandy. Although Sandy gets tricked by Sandy gets like Sandy brought Philip into the MLM of Est and now like Philip does a little spy crafting on Sandy here yeah. in this episode. He's working her because he needs to like have a better relationship with Stan, right? Yep. And so and he needs and because of boy math, he can't like just say sorry he has to like Mm -hmm. have a workaround a workaround that involves manipulating exactly that is like Mm -hmm. the only way that philip knows to manipulate him is through sandy yeah and like (sighs) it'll work on stan one presumes i have a question yes do philip and elizabeth know that stan was sleeping with nina at this point i think the answer in the show is no or at least i don't know that the answer is (laughs) Is I don't know that the answer is yes. So they do not know about Nina specifically. Stan alluded to Philip yeah. to getting too close with one of his agents. Sorry, I was wondering as not Philip as Stan's friend, but Elizabeth and Philip as spies. Did they oh, know? I know. Yeah. Mm-mm. So I was just like, did I miss that part of the show? No. Anyway, okay. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's that's an ironic firewall that is kept up, kept up as a result of their scenario is that, like, the compartmentalization mm-hmm. within the KGB of what Philip and Elizabeth don't know is, is is notable in this particular instance. Yeah, well, because I was just thinking back to when Philip, like, approaches Arcadi. 
Like yeah, in the in the magazine shop. <laughs> yeah, wild. The Barnes and Noble magazine rack of 1983. You know, as one does. Yeah, so I mean, like Phil just like pulls this trick to get Sandy to try to emphasize to like empathize with Stan after Sandy has correctly identified that Stan's only response to difficulty or complexity in his life is to being a real tough guy. Yeah. Which is like Sandy good at her job and correct. Mm-hmm. And like very clear why she left him. <laughs> Yes and yes. Should we go to the segments? Yeah. Have we even right. talked about the show? Unclear. <laughs> question mark. Okay, I've I have an a pressing question for you. Please ask it. Is Daniel Dossier an MLM? <laughs> I want it to be, but I'm not clever enough for it to be. <laughs> That's not being self-deprecating. My brain is literally fried. <laughs> Um, I think I think we should try to get Keller to be the lower level of our MLM. Is he not already? <laughs> he's literally well, it like depends if he's one buying cannolis our... for us it's... or not. He he bought me pastrami, and that counts. He's going to be took buying you to the Yankees you... game. He took me to a Yankees game. I did do a, yeah. a great talk for him though. <laughs> That's true. That as confirmed by John Keller independently of Daniel. The best part about giving a talk at Manhattan College, which was like so fun, I had a really good time, but it was also like Keller six hours later being like, I've been thinking about it and like that was just such a good talk. Yeah. <laughs> like Because you're great at your job. <laughs> Unlike Stan. Stan. <laughs> and I think Here's the segue, also unlike Pastor Tim. <laughs> yep. Nailed it. <laughs> okay, Danielle what Dossier. What is in the dossier, Pastor Tim, and non-Victorian ghost aside? Here is the first entry in the dossier, and this is, I want to be very clear, in all caps and yep. spiritually bolded and underlined. Yep. You, I, I could feel it. How is Pastor Tim still alive? He is like a Victorian ghost cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) We get so close to him dying in this episode. And like, Elizabeth's like, yeah, we got to do it. We got to, we got to get on board. Last episode, we were like lighting him on fire. This episode, we're like, Gabriel gives them the go ahead and it's like going to happen. And then they don't even need to do it. And they're like... Oh no, but actually it like will make Paige sad, so we can't do it. It's like she's a teenage girl, she's gonna be sad anyway. Just like get this guy out of there. I am over Victorian ghost cockroach pastor Tim and his creepy wife that was not in the episode but was uh, talk of the town. Question for you If he's a Victorian ghost pastor Tim, if he gets killed in the universe of the Americans, <sighs> is he still a presence in the show for ghostly spectral reasons? Pastor Tim is haunting the Americans. <laughs> a specter is haunting the 80s. Pastor Tim is haunting, is haunting uh, the D.C. metro area. Falls Church, Virginia. <laughs> the Reed Street Church. Oh, maybe we wouldn't have to hear about him or see him so much. I could take the haunting of Pastor Tim, but just like... Okay. It's like... The haircut, it's just all of it. It's like somehow his head looks bigger than it is. It's already so big. <laughs> the, the hair has a lot of volume. In it. So much volume. So much volume. Too yeah. much volume. 
and like Kelly Aquine from like other photos I have seen of him in other roles is like bald, like my ass, and other and many other roles that he has played, including prominently on Amy's favorite show, Billions. Apparently, the worst show on TV. Literally, <laughs> I mistakenly watched five minutes of an episode like while I was at my uh-huh. parents last time, and I was nice. like, I would like those five minutes back, <laughs> please. <laughs> I- 45 minutes to then talk with Amy for an hour and however long was the correct amount of billions in my life. But, like, honestly, if she was like, let's do another episode of billions, I would do it. Sorry. I mean, I would talk to Amy for 45 minutes, but I don't want to watch billions. Yeah. (laughs) I think we should do a billions episode, the three of us. You know what? Let's do it, but I'll roll in, like, my sisters, and I won't have watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Breaking some covenants on the not quite great book podcast of you have to watch the episode. Uh, not everybody watches the episode when they come on here. <laughs> Fair, we do um, though, so that's good. We do, we do. As honestly, you couldn't have t- by <laughs> our like straight line discussion through the major plot points of this episode. You could not have figured that out from this particular episode, but we in fact sure. did watch the episode. Although I will say that our analysis of the Glander situation feels real spot on. Okay, we're... Our analysis of the MLM feels spot on. Okay. Our analysis of Epcot also feels spot on. That's uh, You did not need to watch the episode for this. That take. <laughs> what, what, what else is in the dossier and is it ideology and or Epcot related? No, but it is that Martha is about to be a victim of an MLM, the spying Ooh, MLM. Uh-oh. It just Uh-oh. like the, the it feel like it it feels like it really ratcheted up because Stan was like, we got to like keep an eye on Martha. And I was like, yeah. oh. They're they're gonna have to offer if like stands on to her. Stan and Adderholt? Yeah. Maybe question mark is like not fully on board with Stan's theory, but willing to give Stan the room to figure it out. Yeah, and I think like he seems movable. Yeah. An additional dossier question mm-hmm. for you. What do you think happens in the next episode with the potential Glanders outbreak? A great, a great question. Um, I have one. I don't think that Glanders is deadly. I maintain that position, which I had like a couple of episodes back. I don't think that Glanders is deadly. Gabriel was like on his floor for eighteen hours straight. <laughs> like <laughs> the amount of time that passed between he's them. Fine. Like he, he's like walk, walk, walk it off. He's not doing great, but like. <laughs> He's also not doing as poorly as one should be with the level of, like, intensity that William described the Glander situation. And also, I feel like that Philip and Elizabeth also should have experienced some kind of, like, I don't know, side effects, effects, anything. And Philip is running a four-minute mile to catch William. <laughs> I do not think that Glanders is deadly, but, like, wow. I don't know. I do think it's going to be a whole hullabaloo, so I'm excited about it. I didn't know we needed to get you a version of Amanda Dobbins' Science Hours for Oh, my God, I want I, – I need – yes. Amanda Dobbins is, like, my spirit podcast sister. Yeah, me too, ironically. <laughs> not ironically. Um, all right. Any other dossier entries? No, I don't think for right now. Maybe some more will come up as we continue to pick through some of this. Cool. We should start with Stan in class. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think as you British brought him up. Yeah, I think that Stan Adderholt conversation, which was like, we haven't seen Adderholt in a minute, so it was nice. That's maybe his first lines this yeah. season. I think he's in the background some in one and two with Gene stuff. Yeah. Also, Male Robot was back, so that was nice. Male Robot back. <laughs> we stay loving Male Robot. <laughs> I think that's how you use it. I love it. Oh, my God. That's an acceptable use. Amazing. Um, what did you make of the Stan Adderall stay- conversation? I make... I was brought back to the conversation we had about, like, to what extent Stan is still suspicious of Martha last episode, because we get first, like, Gad coming in to just be pissed off at everybody, but in a way that implicates Martha, like, very early in the episode, and Stan looks over at Martha, who has, like, the most, uh, like, sad girly face on that she can possibly muster, and Allison Wright is skilled at this, and has had to be skilled at this for this role, and so Stan's wheels are, like, clearly continuing to turn, so much so that he's willing to quasi-make amends with Adderholt in order to try to recruit Adderholt to the FBI MLM of uh, Martha as a spy. Yeah, I... I think that that is a that's spot on. Just on the on the Gad being angry when he's like, Please. "There are six extra photocopies that were made," and I was like, "Gulp, gulp." Martha is toast, right? Like that's because she's. We know that she's the one making extra photocopies. Like we do. We like we know that, and Stan knows that. And the the question is, will he be good enough at his job for long enough? To be able to, like, bring that home. (laughs) A very relevant question. I mean, like, Martha is probably the person in that office who most uses the copy machine, right? Absolutely. As the, like, as the administrative assistant in in the office. And he's already suspicious of her, right? Like. Exactly. And so it's like, it's a a perfect storm's a brewing. Okay. Next thing in in Glass is what the fuck is going on with Nina's dream sequence? Before we answer that question, or before I ask you to answer that question, I would like to say this is like the second bonkers dream sequence in two episodes. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're just doing like dream sequences now. That's like what the Americans is. It's just weirdo dream sequences. Cool, cool, cool. It's a it's a zig, but it is what it is. <laughs> sure, sure. Is. Shout out the nice, watch. Nice reference. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Um, they made that joke in the episode that came out last night, um, so I love that it's now a part of our podcast too. Yeah, I have to say I kind of hated that sequence. Why did you hate it? It's uh, I hated eighty percent of it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say the part that I thought was, like, actually captured something important. But, like, it to my mind, part of the, like, excellence of the storytelling that they have done with Nina and with Annette Mahendru's acting of Nina over season three and season four is something about the unrelenting reality and bleakness of her situation. Yeah. And I... I think they should have, to use a, like, TV podcasting cliche, like, trusted the audience to understand what's happening in Nina's psyche without doing this, like, bizarre dream sequence. But the one thing I loved about the dream sequence 
in the last part of it is she turns away from Stan and it's not Oleg there who maybe one would think would That's be there. That's what I was expecting. It's, it's Anton. Yeah. It's Baklanov who is there. That I liked. So I was thinking about it in comparison to the dream sequence from last episode, right? Where it's like the where Paige finds um, Pastor Tim dead. Sadly, a dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, like, advances the plot in important advances the plot and enhances the, like, questions and tensions yeah. in important ways. And I think, like, this dream sequence, I think you're right. I haven't quite put it in terms of, like, not trusting the audience, but, like, it doesn't do much. It doesn't add much, right? Like, the one piece that is interesting is, like, is is Antone being there and, and not another version of Stan or not Oleg or not her husband or whatever that it's him. Yeah. So maybe... Yeah, Boris also was is a candidate right? for having been there. It, like, tells us something about where... Nina sees Antone, but it like does that in lieu of having more of that interactive development within the show, which maybe there just like isn't space for. So it like it zooms us forward to to sort of knowing something new about the nature of their relationship in her eyes. But I think like your point about not trusting the audience, I think is important. And that there were maybe a different way to do it. Yeah, although I guess to give the show credit, structurally, they have no way for Nina to interact with another person because she is back in solitary right confinement now. in yeah. prison, right? So I guess, like, she doesn't even have Evie, right? The, like, yeah. Belgian maybe spy that she, like, ended up helping snitch on to, like, be the outlet for that. And I guess, like, that's the justification for doing this in a dream sequence. But, like, I also think your your framing of it made me think, like, how well the actual scene of her interacting with her lawyer yeah. is yeah. where, like, he's literally talking about they're going to try to execute you. And the only thing, not the only thing, the thing she primarily cares about is reading and giving, like, a really intense smile and like emotion filled smile to when she gets to read Anton Baklanov's statement. The other thing that makes me think of Danielle is how they had a mini ending to this part of Nina's storyline earlier in the episode already. They yeah. have the scene with her lawyer, i.e. the one other time we get to see her interact with another human in this yes. episode where the lawyer is literally talking about, like, they're going to try to execute you, right, quote-unquote, exceptional punishment. And Nina seems unbothered, like, qua extension of our conversation about her from the previous episode. Right. But then the thing that, like, really captures her and the thing where Annette Mahendru gives the most expression to Nina as a character is this, like, very intense smile that she gives while reading Baklanov's statement. Yeah. Yeah, and and like the her acting is just like so amazing because she's, so she's basically acting against. I mean, yeah, there's a person there, but like it's just her. And I think this is to the point about like the maybe like the dream is only twenty percent necessary, or like one yeah. only that piece of it is like we don't need this like internal monologue from Nina. 
because Annette mm-hmm. Mahendra was doing such a good job of communicating all of this on her face. Like, yep. until you put words to it, I was I was like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in the stream, and like, it feels unnecessary, right? And I think it's because you don't need it until the until the Anton stuff, right? Like, that's the one piece that like you don't get as much of. But even the as you're saying, like. The interaction with the lawyer where she, like, smiles so broadly, right? Yeah. When she's reading his letter and, like, finding out that, like, he didn't know that she would, like, that they're going to accept the fact that he didn't know that she was going to do this and all of that. Like, her reaction to all of that is, like, quite moving, actually. It is, because I think that reaction is in part motivated by the knowledge that this will not negatively impact Antone. I think that's part of what that smile is, is a little bit of relief. I think that's like, that's not the top note, but that's there. And I will say, if then there is one internal to Nina reason to have the dream, it, it might be to like, tell us as audience that what we could see and hear and learn and like, witness Annette Mahendry's acting of like her emotional clarity and sense of self that we like raved about in the last episode has also penetrated into her unconscious right that's not at mm-hmm. all a projection yeah the unconscious and the expression in the world are in fact like not divided here I think Maybe that's, that's right. the most generous reading of the dream yeah I think that's right and so I guess like again like to build on the generous reading for us to just to to get more of that is not bad yeah. Sure, but I don't know. There were other things we could have gotten more of. <laughs> I agree. Um, Claudia's back. Claudia's back. How'd I was less annoyed that? by Claudia being back because I okay. don't mind so much the Claudia Gabriel interaction because I'm like, who do I dislike more? <laughs> but also, I kind of like I like their vibe together. It's like yeah, I mean, they're the higher I- level of the MLM. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like go, going to diners complaining about all the extensive diner menus sitting on a park bench late at night uh hopefully yeah. claudia doesn't have glanders as well you know did gabriel although, already wait, have glanders then although wait no glander glanders is just <laughs> just just like a flu according to danielle so listen i'm an anti-vax glanders person <laughs> It's not true at all. I'm like, please give me 17 vaccines. <laughs> Every six hours. All the time. Every six hours. Like, oh, I can't go to Epcot? Okay, well, I don't like rides anyway, so it's fine. We were never going to Epcot. Never. It's an ideological projection. I can't. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot in this episode of like spying double entendres or things that are... <laughs> not actually not verbally said but which are communicated like we called out that young he tells elizabeth oh are you sure you're not a used car salesman we like shouted out that philip gives that look of what lives that we have ownership over to elizabeth in the car but there's also like the other i mean there are several but the one that sticks with me the most in addition to those two is the line that Philip gives to Sandy, I told her I've been going to Est and she didn't kill me, which works on one level is like typical like bourgeois heterosexual humor about yeah. like, ah, oh, my wife did she wants to kill me and is actually <laughs> something that could have happened in reality of the show. Right. That like Sandy does not catch because she wouldn't. Correct. Yeah. Good for her. We love a spying double entendre. We love a show that is galaxy braining itself. <laughs> 
Hello and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV <laughs> podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast version of the Vince McMahon meme. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to John Loves the Young Pope. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, hello and welcome to Danielle Loves Summerhouse. Like, that's not Galaxy Plan yeah. at all. It's literally Some... like I rolled into it. <laughs> I, I feel like if we did a podcast about Summerhouse, oh you would my have God. some galaxy brain takes about it. I believe in you. I don't know that I'm someone who, like, about mundane things has galaxy brain takes. I think you're selling and- yourself short. You're you're a political theorist, Danielle. Oh, This absolutely. is a society. You're a political theorist. But I don't think that, like, I would have galaxy brain takes of the challenge. But Summer House does not require a galaxy brain take because it doesn't require strategy. Okay. Right? Well, we we have been promising the, a the challenge episode for oh my literally God. years at this point. So maybe over winter break we have to actually make that yes. happen. Yes. We could do it when we get our next tattoo. <laughs> Great. We do have winter break tattoo intentions. So I told Tori I about it. I saw Tori this weekend. I told her about it because we were walking past a tattoo shop. Yeah. And she was like, is it going to be another nerdy one? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Who the fuck am I? Like, <laughs> But then I explained. I was like, oh, I told John that I wanted this quote. And he was like, cool, let's do it. And and then you asked, like, oh, were you thinking words or a picture? And I was like, well, it's a quote, so words. And as I said this, as I was, like, explaining to Tori that you asked me, and Tori goes, well, it's a quote, so words. And I was like, this is exactly what I said. But John, like having the galaxy brain more galaxy brain of the two of us i think on the day-to-day i will like admit i i love a galaxy i love a political theory galaxy brain sure but it's not my like general yeah like well we haven't decided if we're doing it as words or as image so we'll have to we'll have to talk about that one yeah but but i was laughing that tori was like well it's a quote so it has to be words and i was like Look, this is exactly what i said too but but john had other ideas <laughs> i literally i men would literally get a fucking deluse tattoo uh that is an image rather than words uh on their arms then go and by to man john is talking about himself <laughs> he's he's this is this royal we is totally fine. <laughs> boy math over here. <laughs> boy math. That's that's my boy math. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Okay, All so right. I have a, uh, and speaking of boy math, Danielle. Nice. I think that nice. this episode you're welcome. I think that this episode is where the like late mid to late season glow up that Matthew that uh that we get for Philip Jennings like really shines through and I think that like they let Matthew Reese's hair get a little bit longer yeah. but in a good way this season and like he's got a little stubble a little shadow like we have the full glow up also we have a partial glow up we don't have he doesn't have to get in the Clark wig anymore mm, which feels point. like part of this great point yeah Martha's like I'm just not used to it. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you? Would you rather have the like ratty blonde wig that he wore? Say, Matthew Reese looks real good in that scene. Like, I would gladly lay in that bed with Matthew <laughs> Reese, and I'm not particularly attracted to him, but he looks way better there than he has like in four seasons. Yeah, although I think that tells us right about like Martha's. You know, her Epcot is Clark. <laughs> is. Like, is Philip a sex god <laughs> to Martha? Oh, this Great is, question. This is a dire question that we'll have to figure out. 
We'll have to figure it out. All right. I'm going to give you the honors of of taking us to the next point because this feels like a point of yours. Well, I mean, we already identified that male robot's back, yeah. which is crucial because Love. male robot is our favorite character. Our it's like fi- it's like male it's Arcadi male robot numbers three through seven hundred every <laughs> one and thing else. Agree. Fully agree. Uh, no Pastor notes. Tim infinity at the bottom (laughs) (laughs) i'll do it for you danielle prune from the timeline of our oh my god from your lips to god's ears (laughs) like (laughs) literally literally take me back to loki where we could prune people we didn't like (laughs) pastor tim get him out of here mel robot's back I did pull a Danielle today where I listened to The Watch talk about a show that I did not watch. I.e. Loki. Yeah, but like you were going to do that for Loki because it's at least a a universe of show that you understand. It's not the same as like I literally have never seen an episode of Succession and have listened to like episodes of the Prestige TV podcast explicitly on Succession. True. I, I do have saved somewhere... The text from Danielle that was like, I think I want to watch Succession, which I have saved to roll out when we finish no, The Americans. No, but did I tell you why I think I want to watch it? No. Could you guess? This is like real Danielle stuff right here. Danielle I feel core. like I should. I feel like I should be. I feel like I it's know easy. Danielle core. It's actually on a, on a, easy. It's what is so, it? It's because Harry Styles watches it. I didn't know that. So Because that you're not that up enough on Harry Styles. <laughs> Yeah, I don't stay with <laughs> Harry Styles. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not opposed to Harry Styles. No, I know. Like, we're, I know. we're not yeeting Harry Styles, but like, <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I hate it so much. We have been recording this episode for so long, and we're not even near being done yet. Okay, so we should note wine talk, which I enjoy talking about the different varietals that you might what? drink with uh, Korean food. And also, breakfast. W- okay, wine, wine and eggs. I'll pa- I'll pass on. Pass. Although maybe like if you got like a, I you know, shakshuka. Like if you're having some shakshuka, maybe you need like a like very crisp, dry situation, wine wise. To or you could go red in that scenario. No, like I don't know. No. I think a nice capsov would go good with shakshuka. But absolutely not. Here we are. Capsov would not go good with shakshuka. <laughs> it's like acid on acid, like. Like too Bring much. It. Bring it. Like, I can't. Ugh. Give me as many tannins as possible to lay oh. over like an, an acidic tomato shakshuka Ooh. situation. No. <laughs> no, no shakshuka is like a. It's like a like beers around the campfire kind of thing. And my equivalent of that is like rosé around the kitchen table <laughs> with uh, Regan. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. I make a mean shakshuka. You know who makes the, a really good shakshuka is Caitlin. We could ask her about it when she's on. Great. I've I've, I've never found – I've tried many shakshuka recipes because I love it and it's delicious and like yeah. never quite nailed it. So maybe I can get some recommendations next week. It Honestly, it's about having 40 times as much garlic as whatever recipe tells you. And it is about um, cool. You need like a little bit of like chili in it. Okay, see, I, I, or like I a, include, I or include like some a chili. I throw a jalapeno in there, but like I still can't get it. But like, do you make I it with regular times? tomatoes? Yeah, 
like you mash the tomatoes you like no, i skip this step and like get some yeah get some yeah from the well, canned the, the, situations no canned is the way to go but also like you need some tomato paste and yeah. some canned tomatoes Mm, the, okay, I can see why the paste could the be The paste is part of what gives it the, like, deeper flavor. But, like, yeah. honestly, again, Caitlin is really – Caitlin has a – I don't know what her recipe is, but she has a really good one. She made it for my birthday a couple of years ago. Um, but Perfect. it's, like, it's about the – it's the garlic. And see, I usually do, like, a ten times the amount the recipe says of garlic. But, like, if I amp it up to 40, maybe I would nail it. Yeah. it's It's, like – more just put more more in more it of every seasoning like what yeah. we used but to be you a need country. more garlic than uh-huh. more of the other seasonings fair like fair. that's because it's the garlic and the tomato paste and the and the like whether it's like a jalapeno or you're doing a little bit of chili powder or whatever it is like that's the end. yeah 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 that's what that's what you need I love it. Thank you. And I will have that. I'm just joking about a cap soap. That would not be good. Like, but I'm also, I'm, I'm a white wine rosé girly. So, you know, oh, here we are. Oh, me too. Except that I do love a Syrah. That's like, Syrah or Petite Shiraz is like, if I'm going to have red yeah. wine, then I want it to be that. That makes sense. And like, it is about to be winter and like winter is the time. Actually, like I'll, I'll enjoy a nice cap soap if the, if the meal food situation is like on the lighter side. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This is a, like, wine corner is another corner I could do because I took wines in college. It's, like, the most failed classic Cornell. Yes. Because people spend too much time drinking wine and not doing the work? Yeah. Well, the work Mm. is memorizing where all the grapes are from, and no one does that. People just get drunk in class. Do you get, do you do, like, tasting notes and stuff? That's what you're supposed, so in class, it's, like, you're you're tasting. You're swirling. the, instead of buying books, which you do buy a book, you buy like wine for dummies. That's the textbook. Um, Great. But because Cornell has a hotel school, so it has sure. like food and beverage classes. There's also a beer class and a whiskey class. And apparently Cornell's trying to get licensing from the state to build a brewery on the campus f- like for this. Interesting. Anyway. We are exploring. There are many schools across New York State, I should say, who are exploring like some cannabis yeah. management, growing, interdisciplinary, Stockton regulatory has that shit in New Jersey. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But th- at Cornell, so you wine for dummies is the book, but then you also buy Amazing. like a little case with three glasses. Uh-huh. Oh, so you cool. like see and like you see like seniors carrying around their like wine glass case. Yeah. Uh, right, because you that is probably a class where you very much are using different wine glasses for your different... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or, like, maybe you're tasting three wines a class, sure. right? So, like, something like that. But you're supposed to spit it out. Of course, no one does. So, like, I think <laughs> most of my you're, friends... You're 20, you're 21 and 22-year-olds come to class and spit out this wine... Come on, who I would, the fuck thought of this? It was this? like on Thursday afternoon, so I would like, m- and a bunch better. of my friends took it a semester, like the semester before I took it, and so I would like meet them out at the bar at like CTB on Thursday afternoons, and they would be hammered at like 4 p.m. <laughs> the most failed class at Cornell because I can understand no why. one learns anything; <laughs> you just get drunk. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's wine corner. Uh, wine corner 
Guess we can make that another regular diversion. Uh, <laughs> what about borrowed nostalgia for the unremembered eighties? What are we unremembering this this week, Danielle? I mean, we're unremembering Mary Kay eighties MLM schemes, which persisted into the nineties and to be into fair, today, like <laughs> and well, obviously into today, yeah, right, like. Now they're just making documentaries about these things. But Mary Kay Absolutely. in particular was something I never Mary Kay was always something I like saw on TV as like the MLM that like in sitcoms people did. And I was yeah. like, I don't understand what that is. It was not in my life, but Melaleuca was. <laughs> Melaleuca was. There's, I think, a reading and a pairing to make with John and Lily's readings of Est. Yeah. Like, that's that's pair that's that's going in the same direction in the reagan 80s as mary Kay and mlm i think that's right i think that's right probably how it's working here yeah Yeah, and i think like to your your point where we sort of started this with like neoliberal sub like subjectivity subjectivization Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's like is that the right amount of syllables (laughs) yeah we've got another one if we want that's an (laughs) option you know um i think like that that tracks with like the reagan 80s and and whatnot too yeah and like we get both the presence of the mary Kay as an 80s thing and elizabeth's disguise and particularly the makeup uh, that elizabeth uses for this disguise is just like screaming like 80s makeup and 80s style 80s hair like 80s hair you know who elizabeth looks like in this disguise is sandy like yeah. the, the blonde, the sweater, like mm-hmm. not Sandy's mm-hmm. usually not as made up as Elizabeth was, like right. particular the lipstick, but like yeah. she really she was giving Sandy like in a real way, which was interesting. I like that observation, especially because one of the things that I noticed when they were shooting the Philip Sandy conversation is that they shot Sandy at the same camera angles they often shoot Elizabeth at rather than the way they usually shoot Sandy when she's talking with Stan. So I, I thought that, like, that's a good connection on the, like, on the physical kind of presence level as well. I hadn't put those pieces together, but I think you're absolutely right. And I, Because part of the the insight around Elizabeth, the Elizabeth-Sandy comparison came to me in the Sandy-Philip conversation. Yeah. And I think that must have been part of why. Yeah. Well, I mean, you literally have Sandy standing there leaning elbows or forearms on the kitchen island mm-hmm. in the exact same way that Elizabeth is often doing when her and Philip are having an intense conversation. Exactly. So. Exactly. Ah, new we insights. Love. Fucking random ass shit more than usual in this episode and brilliant insights both Listen, and all we over love the place. a nighttime record. As we unhinged do. as it is. Does the audience is the real question. Is there an audience? What, what audience? Also. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what? That's the unasked question. Uh, there is a little bit. Also, little bit. we haven't released any of the episodes from this season yet. Um, there Love is a little bit us. of an audience, but we, from in. the beginning, this is for us. No ambition, just vibes. Just vibes. Smooth brain all the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Cabbage Patch Kids, also smooth brained. Uh, Cabbage Patch Kids. Young He's hatred of Cabbage Patch Kids and jokes about them. Yeah. The, <laughs> I was like, like my mom by a truck It's great. That like the TV commercials are annoying and like making a joke about buying stocks about Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> Just a like great run for Young He right there. A great run. It made me sad. The So I had Cabbage Patch Kids and so did Caitlin. 
but the like big 80s toy in our house was Popples. Like we had Oh, we've heard so about Popples on this Popples. podcast before, which I still have no idea what they are. No joke. You've you've explained it to me, but I still don't understand. Honestly, it's like it's a figment of my imagination is really what it is, but also Caitlin yesterday sent like a Popples reel to the sisters text chain. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I guess like, real I need brand. to find an occasion to like go on eBay and get you a Popple. I will take it. <laughs> That, maybe that, that should be, like, we should exchange strange gifts, small gifts to one another for tattoos and the Ooh, challenge recording, love. and maybe you get a popple. What would you get? I think it should be 80s adjacent. Yeah, it should be 80s adjacent. I feel like I mean, it should be, like... I mean, there's a bunch of very obvious things, right, to go for. I feel like it should be a cassette tape. <laughs> you're you're reading my fucking mind slash existing there. I was like, Danielle should get me, like, a Cure 8-track. <laughs> <laughs> I have no means with which to play. You're but reading it's just my fucking object. mind slash existing there is like the definition of our relationship. <laughs> we should get a tattoo of that. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Alright. I have I have also in the eighties Elizabeth's sweater. Oh yeah. Like not uh, Elizabeth in disguise sweater, although you correctly pointed out the eightiesness of that. But the like, wa- speaking of wine time, wine talk, the wine colored sweater that she's wearing at the end of this episode was, I thought, like elegant and not over the top eighties, but had some eighties touches, which I enjoyed. I feel like that's Elizabeth's vibe, though. It's like elegant, not yep. over the top eighties. She does that really well. Yep. Like she's she hits the and like this is the costume designers. Like she hits the vibe of the decade without the ostentatiousness. Often, ah, love that read. Um, Take it. Can I give you the worst joke that I could have made about this episode? And I'm going to shoehorn it into the eighties segment because the eighties was a time of bad jokes. <laughs> sure, great. Uh, it's. Alice, so Tim gives this line of Alice and I minister to each other, and the dad joke is, is that what they called it in the 80s? (laughs) Wait. I have a terrible joke (laughs) that I feel like I have to tell you. Now's the time. All right, hit me, Danielle. What's your dad joke of the year? What's John Rawls' favorite sex position? (laughs) (laughs) Missionary because it's the original position? (laughs) is that the answer i promise i didn't know that before but it like it's the perfect political theory dad joke because it literally fucking writes itself i love it so much i like in my brain i was like i have to tell this joke right now (laughs) danielle turn on the tiktok camera we're doing that one again Oh my god, that joke like ripped through like Penn grad students in my second or third year. My friend Osman would just tell it over, he would like tell it to professors. <laughs> I think we should find a way to incorporate it into the intro for our presentation on, on Absolutely this weekend. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. There are people in that room that I want to take me seriously. <laughs> And see, I've having basically given up on the profession. Right. I am under no such pressures, but I will respect your this actual is a, desires. This is like a, a place where we part ways. Yeah, yeah. but not not I, immensely, but a, a little bit. 
at one of the happy hours, I'm happy to tell people that joke. <laughs> You're like, I will, I will be, not be there. <laughs> yeah, I will be hiding. I will not be socializing. You can go join Keller in the done. Berkshires. Keller's not coming. No, but he's going to the Berkshires, which is... Oh, he is? Yeah, that's why he's not coming. He's like, I decided the Berkshires with my wife is a better call. And I was like, I mean, that's right. All right, well, John's he like, forgot to text me that, so I'm pissed at him now. John, well, you're off the finale. Done. Over. You know that's a lie. <laughs> oh, obviously. I, it's a toothless threat. I mean, that was his plan, like, three, two weeks ago. When was I in New York? What day yeah, is it? Knows. I have I have no idea. Should we go to do a minor character of the week? Yeah. <laughs> who, do you, who do we got, Daniel? Who do you got? Who do we love? I have Stavos, uh, Stavos. played by Anthony Arkin. Who's the like the dude in the travel agency with a banging who actually accent? Runs the travel agency, right? Who seems to be the one who actually runs the travel agency, but like he has a desk outside without a door. <laughs> yeah, which is not nice to Stavos, but not like nice. he seems like a personable, friendly guy. His interaction with Philip is so wholesome and it's lovely. Wholesome. He seems good at his job. He apologizes oh, he for not being able job. to sit them together, and Philip's like. I don't care. We're not going anyway. So. Yeah. And it's so lovely that they're making time for their family to go to Epcot because Philip's it's like, an ideological look projection. Philip's face is like, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you tried to be like, let's put that joke in our presentation. <laughs> Same vibes. I didn't actually. Intend. No, I know. We, I already know. Have, we already have a banger of an opening bit for the presentation. We do have a banger of an opening. So. And also, we know that, like, when we put jokes in things, people are like, put that in, put it in the writing. <laughs> That's happened more than once, right? It's wild. It's like, we're not even that funny, but. I know. Exactly. We're just funny enough. But yeah. Barely. That's our minor character Barely. of the week. I love that. I Stavos is, like, a great recurring presence. I'm glad we get the chance to shout him out. Um, I like Anthony Arkin's accent work. I read him as, I read him as Greek. Like, I, between I mean, the I name think... and the accent. The name Stavos is is Greek, yeah, but he, I was like, is this a Russian dude? <laughs> that feels weird. That feels like a wild. I don't know if that would be like the greatest cover or the worst cover ever. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, is are they good at their job or bad at their job? Like, again, the perennial <laughs> question. Ah, the, the eternal recurrence of are you good at your job? All right, Danielle, the time has come to go into the cave. We are in the cave. Okay. And I think I think you're leading us through the cave this I'm week. scrolling this time, so and you're telling me when to stop. I would like you to stop. Okay, and give me a letter. C. So t- this week we're in Plato's Apology, so Wonderful. shifting from the Republic to the Apology. Um, and we're at 24C, so it says... Okay. It is something like this. It asserts that Socrates does injustice by corrupting the young and by not believing in the gods in, in whom the city believes in, but but in other uh, daemonia that are novel. The charge is of this sort. But let us examine each one of the parts of this charge. Now he asserts that I do injustice by corrupting the young. But I, men of Athens, assert that Meletus does injustice in that he jests in a serious manner easily bringing human beings to trial, pretending to be serious and concerned about things from which he never cared at all. <laughs> that this is so, I will try to display to you as well. I, that's, I 
do love that particular part where like yeah. he turns to Melitus uh, and like negs Melitus correctly uh, in Agreed. the apology and that particular moment. I mean, I think the move like argumentatively that it reminds me of from this episode yeah. is that like when it's Philip calling out Elizabeth and Gabriel on their bullshit, yeah. R.E. Page, right? It's yeah. like elizabeth and gabriel yeah. are pretending to take seriously and the way that melitus is pretending to take seriously right the moral goodness of the youth like socrates's uh kind of right. religious beliefs and practices so on and so forth but in fact it's just being fundamentally foolish and like out of pocket and much like melitus is doing that re socrates the like willful ignorance uh, that of Elizabeth and Gabriel gets severely called out by Philip here. Yeah, yeah, I like the positioning of Philip in the Socrates role here because like <laughs> he's usually the one that's presented as like the bumbling idiot, right? Like mm. to Elizabeth's like wisdom and connection and like like f- the fervor of her commitment and blah blah blah, and yeah. yet. Again, on page in particular, like in here, the the sort of like the charge against corrupting the youth on page in particular, Philip is so spot on, <laughs> which I love. Yeah, because Elizabeth is the one actually corrupting the youth. Like Melitus and the like elite of Athens who are mad at Socrates are actually corrupting the youth. Yeah, I, and like, and it's like if we think about Elizabeth as as Melodus as corrupting the youth, and then maybe Gabriel is, like, the Aristophanes, like, the older, (laughs) right? Like, the older generation of charges that are sort of being puppeted through the sort of newer charges, which is part of, like, what is getting teased out in, like, these pages of the Apology. I think, like, that generational thing also brings us back to the sort of, like, the layers, the levels of the MLM that we've been talking about this entire time. Oh, my God. What a connection. Can I, I'm going to push that even further and say that, like, your analogy also works because part of the reason that Gabriel qua Aristophanes doesn't take Philip qua Socrates serious has to do with, like, the old informal charges, i.e. it is Philip's history of, like, wanting to leave that leads to, that is, like, the most proximate cause. Um, Now I'm getting Aristotle in other ways I want to avoid. Uh, Like, to to Gabriel's skepticism and, like, the actual indicators of this exact moment on the timeline are somewhat irrelevant it's the long-running thing that like is the baggage that philip has to carry with him much like the clouds is the baggage that socrates has to carry sometimes a lizard is just gonna shit in your mouth the suny plattsburgh theater department gosh this is i think right before covid or maybe it was fall 2019 um but i feel like it was actually february 2020 did a killer clouds performance um like interesting script i I forget who the who was adapted by and like who the script was by and everything but directed by kim hartshorn uh who recently retired and was the union chapter president for a long time um but he directed this like really banger um like amped up the comedy and the sex jokes of the clouds what comedy is good for yeah exactly comedy anyway lots of phalluses lots and lots of them so many phalluses so if philip is socrates does that make elizabeth plato and the soviet union is like her adherence to the forms or something no because i don't think that philip is elizabeth's teacher yeah yeah no that's that's true sorry (laughs) sorry that's fine i'm like a real stickler for structure here (laughs) yeah 
one of us has to be. <laughs> As evidenced by <laughs> hour podcast. 45 of this podcast. Yikes. All right. So should I... I loved this cave. Um, should, maybe we should do Crito next week with, Ooh, with yeah. Caitlin. Yeah, we do Crito with Caitlin. Always a fun one. Yeah. Um, or we could do we a th- really weird one. <laughs> Caitlin, what do you think about the Timaeus? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Apparently okay, it's that's be what like... I go to for weird Play-Doh. It's but a that's good, maybe not quite It's right. a good poll for weird one because the only one that came into my mind was Statesman, which is aggressively not weird. <laughs> But aggressively fucked up. So oh, I think but you it know, counts. you know what else like has number. weird moments is the laws has some weird ass moments. It's been a long time since I've looked at the laws, but I do have a vague memory of that. It's part of this book project because there's like a lot on Korea in a couple of the mm. early books because it's like a key part of the educational infrastructure oh, in the laws. Yeah, well, I'm sorry for you. It's okay. It's actually the laws is sort of like nicely straightforward. It's just like okay. Part of the, like, nocturnal council is, like, bonkers. Anyway. Don't remember, don't remember that at all. It's fine. Nocturnal council. It might be I called something else. That might be from the MCU. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Then scratch that, what I just said. All right, Daniel, let's head into theory ship. Are you okay if I go first? Yeah. Take it away. I'd like to go full circle to the introduction to this episode where we discovered you're the deputy director of feelings at the FBI. Great. And we are giving, we are giving Stan, we are giving Adderhold. We are giving Gad, all of them, they have to sit in the fucking vault and read together cultural politics of emotion because we're just going to assign Ahmed to every character. Always. I mean, that's always the right choice. (laughs) Theory ship is shipping Sarah Ahmed cultural politics of emotion to the FBI bros. In. Done. Great. That seems great. I I have a, a, a little bit more of a left field one. I can't wait. Um, And part of this is because this is what my students are reading in women's and gender studies this week. They're reading Gloria Anzaldúa's Consciousness of the the Mestiza. And so I think like that between two worlds, we should leave like, like, who am I? What is this world? What does being in this world mean for me, to me, like, for the world, right? Like, all of those pieces. Yeah. And I'm really thinking about mm-hmm. the part where she's describing, like, an ear of corn, right? Like, yeah. um, I think that, like, one, for Philip, it would be good. But I I also think it would be, it's important for Paige, right? Nice. To, like, yeah. learn what it means to, like, to be uncomfortable, in all of these worlds and to put language to that and to like to sink into it a little bit for it to be a theoretically productive space and not just a space that is like only defined in and through pain which is which it seems to be how she's experiencing it right now a brilliant <laughs> Anseldua reading and a brilliant like giving of Anseldua to Paige Paige will do better if she reads some women of color feminists like let's be honest <laughs> I mean, it's either that or the Bible. So, like, you know, no Bible. Two options. Oh my God, the Bible. At least it's the new international version. Unlike not quite great books, we're sticklers, dogmatists, so on and so forth. But these like hippies at the Reed Street Church—they're new international freaks. I'm shaking my head. They can't. Our (laughs) listeners can't see it, but I'm shaking my head at the Bible (laughs) references. Famously, Um, visual medium. I think that we've done something. To the end of this episode? We stay at the end of this episode. Questionable. (laughs) That's not right. That can't be right. (laughs) But I think we should run with it. I am with you. 
somehow we reach new levels of derangement, <laughs> derangement every single time now. It's like, I don't know what happens 10 episodes from now. I'm which is actually here for it. We'll be here. So. I'm so here for it, though. We're breaking new for, new ground in podcast uh, smooth brain. We probably do need to like get our shit together for Lily, <laughs> but maybe right. not. Right? Maybe I only feel, a little yeah, bit. I, yeah. Yes. Slightly for Lily. So we should we'll record at eight p.m. <laughs> That's probably the way to do it. Um, we should record with Keller at one in the morning. <laughs> like post edibles. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, everyone. Time. We'll, I do we'll feel sync- like synchronized T minus one minute to edible consumption. Everyone get their preferred vehicle. Um, I do feel like the last season finale. We should like. Maybe it should be, like, a, a full in-person with Keller, and we should imbibe something. <laughs> well, I, I somehow sense that there's going to be, like, five F- Americans finale episodes that we'll do. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I think that that's in the series. Great. The, like, the altered brain version of one of yeah. these. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Okay, well. That's it. We, we got to finish this one. We've we gotten to the end of down. the episode. <laughs> Thanks. As always, to producer Amy for all of your hard yes. work on this episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, up next in the feed in two weeks will Good be luck. Americans season four, episode four. Oh my god, chloramphenicol. <laughs> sure, that's what I'd go with. <laughs> I mean, that one—that's not a word. Um, well, it's it's my job to say it at the top of next episode. So we are we are sharing the, the labor here. Great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on another loopy episode of Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast? Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It's created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time. Go play some racquetball.